Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So, uh, so we're, working, we're going through this series leading up to Easter that we started back in January. And I know many of you have been here, but we have some who are with us this morning uh, that haven't been with us for any of this. And I just want to really, really quickly bring everybody up to speed. It's this, uh, this, this title, this 10 Things That I Wish Everyone, Especially Christians, Knew About Christianity. And so we're at week, uh, I think, three or four. Yeah, we're, on week, week, we, we're all the way down to number three. We started at 10. We're all the way down to number three, the top 10 list. And so we have a few more. But where we started was, number 10, the Bible is one book that contains two completely different covenants. And if we're not careful, we will mix the covenants and we actually ruin Christianity by combining old covenant and new covenant. In fact, number nine on our top 10 list that I wish everyone, especially Christians, knew about Christianity is the fact that we're only adequate to, to minister, to serve one of those two covenants, and it's the new covenant. The, the Old Covenant, uh, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3, namely the Ten Commandments, the law written on stones, is the ministry of death and condemnation. And we are not adequate. In fact, he emphatically says we have been made adequate as ministers of the New Covenant, not the letter, not the old. And so we have to know what we're even qualified to serve one another. Because if we're not qualified to dish out the old, and that's what we do, we're doing things we're not even qualified to do in Christianity. And number eight, uh, top ten, was we're forgiven once and for all, not over and over. And that's a big deal, a huge blind spot in Christianity. Because of Roman Catholicism and different things, uh, Christianity has been corrupted into thinking, not, not just because of Roman Catholicism, just because of the human tendency towards religion, has created this mindset that we have to get clean over and over and over, that when we sin, we get dirty again, we get to get clean over and over. But that's just not the truth of Christianity. Number seven, Jesus didn't just do something for us, and of course he did something for us, but he did something to us. He took us through his death. We died. And I just wish that myself and all of us in this room and those who listen to the podcast, if this one truth could sink its way into our minds, man, I think our lives would change. We have died, and we have been raised anew. Number six was that Jesus is not a priority in life. And I know that sounded weird. It still sounds weird when I say that, but he's not a priority in our life. Jesus first, family second, work third, you know, whatever. Jesus is our life, and that's how the apostles talked about it. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we will appear with him in glory. And so as long as we think of him as, man, we need to get him number first, and Jesus is kind of competing against the kids and against work, and it's just this competition, we're never going to really live this life that Christ has because it's his life. So while I'm with my kids, while I'm at work, guess what? Jesus is my life, not just a priority in life. 
And then we look, number five, that grace is not God's soft side, and we need to move deeper into the harsher side, the more difficult side. But the truth is that Jesus is grace personified. And so Jesus is full of grace. The, the passage here in John, he is, we, we, were, we were given grace upon grace upon grace upon grace when we were given Jesus. And so there is no other side. We're not waiting for some other shoe to drop. Oh, you got the grace part, but now here's the, heart, here's the real part. And that's the common trick of in, Christian, in, in, in religion to try to say, okay, you got in by Jesus, but now let's get on to the harder parts. And then last week we looked at this thing of as sons, we don't live for God. We don't live for Jesus. We're not slaves. We're not servants in that regard. We don't live for him. Christianity truly is we live from him. If he is our life, he is our source, we now actually live and move and breathe from him, he being our life, as opposed to this mindset of he is, you know, the slave master, we the slaves, and we're doing our best to try to serve him and live for him. In fact, we saw that passage last week in Acts where Paul says, do you not realize that God can't even be served? Because if, in order for someone to be served, they are in need of something. But God is the one who has it all, and he has freely given to you your very life and air in your, in your lungs. He has given it to you. He has, in essence, served you with this thing of life. How can we think that we serve him as if he needs something? And so we are sons. We're not slaves. Now, we talked about, remember, if you, want, you, know, if you don't remember, go back to the podcast, but sons do serve, but we serve from sonship, not from slaveship, slavehood mindsets. So now today, we're on number three. And what we're going to see today, hopefully, is going to be very, very cool, but it might stretch us just a little bit. I don't know. Um, what we're going to look at is how so often, so many times, we, we still see ourselves as the old man. We still see ourselves as evil, prone to iniquity, prone to uh, leaving and, and deserting, prone to desiring sin. We still see ourselves as in progress in this sense. In other words, we see that there's something still wrong with us in the core of who we are. Now, we'll see very clearly that, yes, there is something wicked and evil and sinful that abides in our members called sin, capital S, this power, this mystery of iniquity. But, but where we, I think, are missing it a lot is we think that who we really are, who we truly are at the core is still wicked and evil and distant, and dirty. Let me, let me show you what I mean. When you think of the word self, S-E-L-F, self, do you see self, yourself, who you are? Do you see yourself, is self a dirty word to you? Think about that. Do you see yourself as there being something wrong with you, yourself, as a born-again believer? Let me, let me make that very, very clear. As a born-again believer, do you see a problem with you 
in who you are? Do you live by, as so many of us in Christianity fortunately do, by this mindset of I need to daily, I need to deny myself, which we'll get to that passage. There is a passage in Scripture that talks about that. We'll see what Jesus means when he says that. Do we see every day as a day as I need to crucify myself? I need to die to myself. I need to starve myself so that Christ can live. Do we see self as something that is still dirty, still evil? In other words, do you see an ongoing struggle? Do you see an ongoing war between you and you? Does that make sense? Do you see you at war with you? Between the newish good you, the new heart versus the bad you, the bad heart, the evil you versus you. The new you kind of on one shoulder, you ever get that idea? And then the, the evil you is still there on the, the other shoulder and you're caught, you know, in between like in a civil war of, of sorts of you versus you. Can anybody relate to that? Am I just talking to myself? Anybody feel that or have felt that before? Where I can't be. There's there's a war between me and me. Well, um, Jesus actually said, and I didn't put this on the screen or in the notes, but Jesus actually said in the gospel, he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And in fact, about 1860 some odd years later, Another guy quoted that, which we might be more familiar with, Abraham Lincoln, talking about a house, and he quotes that, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so, of course, that was during the Civil War in America. But what Jesus is saying is that if a, if a house, if a, if, a, if, a, if a thing is experiencing division within itself, it's impossible for that thing to withstand, to stand up against other out-invading attacks. And so... Abraham Lincoln uses that quote to say, look, if we continue fighting against ourselves within ourselves as a nation, somebody foreign to us is going to come in and they're going to be able to conquer us. Can you imagine? I mean, what if another world power at the time, like England or France or Spain or whatever powers there were at the time in the late 1860s or mid-1860s, were to have waged war against America in that moment when America was engaged in civil war of America versus America. We probably wouldn't be here. Or if we were here, we would be maybe speaking a different language or something. So a house that's divided and fighting itself is not going to be able to stand up against other attackers. And so if that's true, I mean, Jesus said it, so I'm going to go with it. If it's true that a house divided against itself cannot stand... And if we think the gospel is, I now have a new me, but there's still an old me, and Christianity and discipleship and Christian growth is this ongoing war between a new heart and the old heart and the new desires and old desires, and are we not saying, if that's what we think Christianity is, are we not saying that Christianity is a promise that you'll never stand? Because Jesus says a house divided against itself will fall. And I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of weird. If we're saying that Christianity is me fighting me for the rest of my life, trying to get the good me to prevail against the bad me and the bad self and the good self. So here's the trick of the enemy. The trick of the enemy is to get us to think, to believe that we are still 
who we are, our self, our core, that we are still evil, that we are still corrupt, still wicked, still vile. And if we follow and buy into his trick, we will never experience the victory that Jesus has actually purchased and guaranteed for us. So what is the truth? Is it true that we are divided and we have the good me, the good self, and the bad self, and, and one day I'm with the bad self, and the other day I'm the good self, but I am divided against myself, and, and I need to deny myself, I need to die to self, I need to all these things, there's something still wicked in me or as a part of me. So what's the truth? Well, there certainly was, if you are a born-again believer, there certainly was something desperately wicked about you. You, if you're an unbeliever. Before you were in Christ, it was you. But when you were born again, that's the whole point of being born again. When you were born again from the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus, something simply indescribable actually happened. And that's what we're going to take a look at to determine this morning to, to, to try to figure out which is it. Am I in a war against myself? And I need to continue to improve myself by dying to self and getting rid of self and it, it, inching out more and more of myself? Or is the truth something so much grander that I am actually the new heart am actually as he is, as we've seen in a series past. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. These are all in our, in our, in our the Bible notes. But I, I want us to, to walk through this quickly, but as, as thoroughly as possible. Paul says in Romans 6, he says that our old self was crucified with him. So now let's, let's think about this. Our old self so who we once were, if you're a born-again believer, who you once were, the old you, the you that came from the, the, the man Adam of this world, the old you was crucified. And again, I know that we're not trying to, you know, make Sunday mornings about English grammar, but I think we know enough to realize that this was crucified. It's past tense, in fact, in the Greek, it's this tense called aorist, which means it happened at one point in time. There's a whole other tense where Paul could have used that would have suggested it happened one time, and then it needs to happen again and again. It's called imperfect tense. But that's not what he used. He used the aorist tense, which means we were crucified at one point in time. 2,000 years ago in the body of Christ, and I entered into that in 1993 when I first trusted Christ as my Savior. So I, my old self, was crucified. But he didn't just say crucified, like he could have, your old self crucified. But he says was crucified. That's the passive, which means it was something done to you. So this idea that we have in religion that we need to die daily, that we need to crucify ourselves daily, Paul is saying it doesn't even work that way. The death of your old man was something done to you that you can't even do for yourself. So if we are going through Christianity with this mindset of I need to die today, I need to die to self, I need to die to self, the self is getting away, my self is getting in the way, I need to die to self, then that could be, that, nothing could be further from what the apostles taught because they said this is something done to you, not something you do to yourself. 
And so our old self was crucified with him. It happened one time. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died, same idea, Erist, it happened one time. We died once, for he who has died is free from sin. So just this one passage, is Paul communicating, hey Christian, hey Christian, hey Christian, you need to every single day wake up and die again? Every single day you need to wake up and die some more? You need to die to yourself? It's not what he's communicating. He's communicating you died once, and as the writer of Hebrews says, and for all. You died once, one time with Christ, and you are now freed from sin, from the power, the slavery that you had to sin. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This verse will blow me away to the day I die physically. He says, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, right? Jesus, he wasn't conceived of a, uh, of, of a human father. If so, sin, the power of sin would be passed into him, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, and so he never even knew sin. He had no sin in him, but he who knew no sin, God made him to be sin on our behalf. So on the cross, imagine this, the one who had never, ever, ever even had the experiential knowledge, not even the power of sin living in him. He actually became sin on the cross, our sin on the cross. Why so? So that we, we who believe, that's the context, we who are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So who would agree with me? You could raise your hand. Who would agree with me that Jesus became our sin? Anybody out there that I agree that Jesus became our sin on the cross? Good, good. We've got some hands. Now, who would agree with me equally boldly that now, because of my faith in him, I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? See, I mean, there's hands, but see how that feels a little bit less like, oh, yeah, right? You see what I'm saying on that? It's because we, we don't, first of all, we're not versed in it, though this is what the apostles taught, but we're, we're very quick to say, oh, yeah, he became my sin. Otherwise, I mean, I'm hopeless. But so, many, so, but, but so many of us really struggle to say the rest of it, so that I might become upon faith in him, so that I might become the very righteousness of God. What does that mean? Here, here's a very bottom shelf idea. However okay However right, however okay God is, that's not how okay you is. Did I say it that way? That's how okay you are now. So let's make a picture here. And I've used this before years ago, but let's make a picture here. Remember those old school scales, you know, that, you know, have little baskets on the bottom and they, you know, they go back and forth, you know, old school scales. Let's put the righteousness of Jesus in the, my left, your right side of the scale, all of his righteousness goes into that scale, and boy, that just, that just plump. I mean, that is weighty, his righteousness. But now, based on what Paul is throwing, out, throwing down here in 2 Corinthians 5, now let's put your righteousness, your, your new righteousness, who you now are, on the other side of the scale. What happens to the scale? 
Well, so many of us with the self sort of self, I don't know if it's called self-righteous. It's like, you know, religious sort of woe me, no, you know, what would that be called? Um, I don't know. Would say something like, oh, well, no way does my right, even my new righteousness cannot even compare to his. But is that what the scriptures are teaching? Is that what the spirit of God is revealing? You put your new righteousness, the very righteousness of who? Of God himself, your new heart, your new righteousness. You put that on this side of the scale and Jesus' righteousness on this side of the scale and what happens to that scale? Do you see that? You, you have become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, would we ever say, puff our chest up and say, look at me? Absolutely not. This is by grace you have been saved through faith so that none of us can boast. It is none of our working but by the very grace of God. So we don't walk out of here boastful of look at what we did. We walk out of here rejoicing, saying look at what he did. But if we don't see that our new self, our new heart, our new you is the righteousness of God, then we're going to go throughout life thinking Christianity is an ongoing process of you trying to become something you already are. Insanity, isn't it? Becoming something you already are? And Paul is spitting this so clearly. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's who I am? That's who you am. And so... We will not one day become righteousness of God, but when you are reconciled to him through faith in Jesus, you become as okay as he is by a gift, by a gift. Wow. So think of the Scripture, think of the truth, and then think of our typical religious mindset of I'm, I need to deny myself if the scripture is true, if Paul is saying the truth here and he is saying you, this is your new heart, this is your new self, you are as righteous as God himself. If that's the truth, then why in the world would we be going around trying to die to that and trying to deny that? Why would we be denying the truth of who we now are? It sounds silly, doesn't it? But yet that's what tends to be communicated. This is why this is number three on our top 10 list. Look at this verse. Um, he, he's, this is Peter now. Peter, 1 Peter 1, he says, since you have in obedience to the truth, meaning um, you, and you need to read the whole context, but since you have now obeyed the truth, which means you have now believed the reality that you could not in a million lifetimes be okay with God on your own, you've obeyed the truth, you've obeyed the word, meaning you, must, you have believed upon the one, you've believed upon the Lamb of God, you have obeyed the gospel, you've obeyed the truth. Since you have done that, look at what the result is. There's been a purification. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. In other words, since you have received by grace, this thing of a new, purified heart, you're clean, you've received a love for the brethren, for one another, what makes sense? What makes sense is let us fervently love one another, and look at this, from the heart. 
Now, why would the apostle, if our heart is still dirty, if our heart is still wicked, if we need to deny ourselves, if we need to rid us of, of wickedness and sin and die to self daily, then why would the apostle teach us to live from this heart? Well, the apostle is telling us to live from the heart because he knows what has happened to the heart. In fact, he explains it so coolly, 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 in verse 23, he says, for, remember for, that means he's about to explain something he just said, for you have been born again. See, that's a phrase we throw out a lot, born again, but we don't even really know what it means. You have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, okay? Perishable seed. What is he talking about? Well, spiritually, obviously, he's talking about Adam. Adam's seed, Adam and Eve's seed, was perishable. We understand the difference between perishable and imperishable. Perishable is something that decays, something that gets rotten. You've got uh, perishable items in your kitchen, and you've got imperishable ones. We've got to figure out how to get avocados to last a little bit longer because by the time we buy them and we get them in, we, we put them in the free fridge now to try to help out some. But man, two or three into the big pack of them from Sam's, and they're all rotted and nasty, and sometimes you try to scrape out the little stuff to still go with it, but it's like, I don't know, this was a little bit too far even for Steve to, to try this one out. And so we, we, have, we understand the difference between perishable and imperishable, right? We understand the concept. Well, Paul, uh, Peter's picking up on this. It says, we, we were born of a perishable seed, a.k.a. Adam, the first, the first man, the first Adam. And as a result of his iniquity, all of his seed, his seed, all of his offspring, death, perishing. It has perished. But we've been born again. And this again birth is not from the first Adam again, but it's from another Adam, a second Adam named Jesus Christ himself. But, and he describes it, imperishable. So our new life that has been born again, our new heart, it's not waiting to get dirty again. It's not waiting to get rotten. It's not on the shelf waiting for the mold to come in. It is imperishable. If you have a King James, a new King James, you'll have the word incorruptible, meaning your new heart, your new life is impossible to be corrupted. You, your true heart, who you truly are, impossible to perish, impossible to be corrupted, not able to be spoiled. Well, if my new heart, if my new life, if my new self, having been born from the Spirit, from this imperishable seed, is impossible to spoil, then why in the world am I trying to get rid of it? Why am I trying to deny it? Why am I trying to overcome it? I think we ought to live from it and embrace it and see what really has happened. John, I was debating putting this out here because this is just radical. John says in 1 John 5, 18, he says, we know, like this is common knowledge. He says, no one, we know. And if, you, if you've been kind of dozing on me for a few minutes, this will wake you up. We know that no one, who is born of God, sins. Come again? See how that kind of wakes you up a little bit? We know, like, this is common knowledge. This is common 
First century Christianity, this is common knowledge, John is saying. We know this. I mean, we might not know some other stuff, but we know this. We know that that which is he who is born of God does not sin. Whoa. What do you do with that? Just read past that real quickly and get on to some other stuff is what we tend to do. Because I don't know what to do with that. I think what John is saying is the same thing that Peter said and the same thing that Paul said that we actually have a brand new heart. We actually have a brand new self that has been born of this imperishable seed, that the old man has died to, to render sin a powerless in the mortal body, and we have been born of a whole other seed, an imperishable seed, and this new seed, this new self, this new life, it actually doesn't sin. Now, I know, whoa, put on the brakes here, buddy. You trying to tell me that sin and sinning never comes forth from a Christian? I'm not saying that, and neither is the Apostle John saying that. In fact, a few verses before, John says, and if any of you do sin, and I know you're going to sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So even John in the same book is saying that we know sin happens. So what is he saying? Is he double-talking? No. He's saying that that which is born of God does not sin. Was the flesh, was the body, was the power of sin born of God? No. But what was born of God? You. Your new heart. Your new life. Here is how Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. It's because he has not only taken all of your iniquity away, but he has actually made you, you, the true you, who you are, imperishable and even unable to sin. So why does sin come from us at times? It's because there is a power named sin. Capital S, not just the things that we do, but capital S, sin, a person, a thing called sin that lives in our mortal bodies. It's called a parasite, not a cancer, but it's a parasite, a parasite called sin that is foreign to us, that lives in us, that its desire is sin. Pretty unique. I mean, that doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. What does sin want to do? Sin wants to sin. But we have to come to the realization of what the apostles taught, that now because of your death and your freedom from this power of, of sin, you are no longer joined to it. You no longer desire what it desires. Sin desires sin. That's why I probably, before this day ends, am going to sin a, several times. Sin will manifest itself through this body. But what I hear and I want you to hear the apostles' teaching is that sin wants to sin, but you, the new heart, the new self, you not only don't desire it, but you don't even participate in it. That which is born of God does not sin, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not even touch your new heart. So please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that sin never manifests from these bodies. I'm not saying that at all because it does in unfortunately wicked and terrible ways from Christians' lives, sin manifests itself. But what I am saying is that the power of sin in you is what desires sin. 
you, the real you, which is born of this imperishable seed, desires sin as much as God desires sin. And so the Christian journey, if you will, isn't for me to wrestle against me, but I died. And I've been born of a new heart, a new source, a new life. And now as I walk in this world, as I walk by this new heart, as Peter just said, we live from this new heart, we love from this new heart, as we live from our new self that, whose life is Christ himself, we end up producing the fruit of Christ in this world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And there is no law against these things. We can very easily, as a born-again believer, still think that we're wicked, still think that we're, that we're evil, and still and walk by the, the, the power of sin that lives in our mortal bodies. And what Paul clearly says about that is, your body is an instrument and you can either let God play your body and out comes righteous living, or you can let sin play your body and out comes sinful living. The choice is yours. We make daily choices in this thing. But I just want us to peer through all the weeds and see where are you in this? The scripture says you, you're who you truly are, is over here in the righteous and holy and clean camp. You're not just declared righteous, you actually are righteous. You're not just declared holy, you actually are. And over here, this thing of sin and the power of sin, the iniquity, the mystery of iniquity, while it is still alive in us, it is not us. And if we don't see clarity on this, we will continue to live as if we are slaves to it, when in reality, we are not. And so John can't get much clearer than that. Hey, if you're born of God, you don't even sin. Sin sins, and if you give permission to it, it will come from, forth from you. But sin does not come from your new heart. It comes from sin that lives in you. So this number three, or on the top ten list, what I'm trying to say, and I want us to understand what the apostles are teaching about this, is that I wish everyone, especially Christians, realized that there is nothing wrong with the new you. There's nothing wrong with your new heart. There's nothing wrong with the new self. The old self is dead and gone. Yes, the power of iniquity still re resides in our mortal bodies, but we have been separated, as the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, from the power of sin. And as we walk by the Spirit and walk in this reality, then guess what? We will not be indulging. We will not be indulging the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. But before we pass the mic around, I'm going to anticipate some but whatabouts. We're going to throw some but whatabouts up here. What about when Jesus said this? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What about that, Walt? I mean, Jesus right there says that we must deny ourselves, and you're saying that we have a new self that we ought not de deny but yet embrace. So which is it, Walt? Are you and Paul and, and, and Peter and John correct, or is Jesus correct? I'm going to go with Jesus if i got to choose sides here. 
Well, let's see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually on his way to Calvary, on his way to Jerusalem. Remember, context is a big deal when you're reading the scriptures. And he, and he is in a culture of society who has for generations thought that if they do enough law keeping, they will be able to earn righteousness by themselves. We ourselves can be made righteous if we do enough. And what Jesus is inviting these people, these Jewish uh, people, he's inviting them to do is he's inviting them to end that reliance upon what they think they can do in the power of the flesh, in the power of themselves, and come to a whole other reality that by faith in him, they will actually be made righteous. And so the invitation is, hey, if you want what I'm here to do, then you've got to deny this this, this thinking, deny yourself in this thinking that you and you alone, that you and your strength is going to make you okay with God. Deny that. And so I would say if that's your mentality, if that's your thinking, that you and your own strength, your own flesh can actually make you okay with the God of the universe, hey, I'm with Jesus. Deny that. Deny yourself. Deny this thinking that you can be okay with God by yourself. But what about once you have done that? And then you have died and you've been made a new man, a new woman with a heart like his, partaker of the divine nature. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Deny your new heart? No. He's giving an invitation for those who are thinking they can do it on their own to think of, to, to, he's inviting them to reality. Deny that thinking. Deny yourself. Deny the fact that you think you can make this happen by yourself. And cro- take up your cross daily. Well, see, Walt, he says daily. Like every day we're to take up a cross and we're to die every single day, every single day. Well, that might be what he's talking about, but the apostles didn't teach it that way. I think the cross is a picture of rejection from this world. Did the Romans ever crucify somebody that they wanted to pronounce as their king and to embrace as their leader? No. The Romans crucified people who were to be rejected from society, rejected from humanity. You crucify someone you are rejecting. And I think what Jesus is saying here is every single day, take up this reality that we have been rejected from this world, this kingdom of darkness, because we have now entered into a whole other kingdom, a whole other world. So embrace the cross, embrace the reality every single day that this world is no longer your home. We have been rejected from this world ejected, and we are now in another place. So I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think Jesus is talking to the, there's, there, remember there's, in Luke 9, there are no new covenant believers in Luke 9. He is telling these Jews who are thinking they can do it themselves, hey, deny that, reject that, and come over and be a part of what I'm doing. So, and there's this one other passage There's only really two passages that people throw out there. In fact, I Googled it. I Googled die to self, Christianity, die to self. And these are the two passages that come up. These are the only two. And this this other one is by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. He says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And so we've taken this verse 
And we said, see, we've got to die daily, die to ourself daily because our self is so wicked and vile. We've got to die and start over every single day, die daily. I think you're smarter than that. We're going to read the verse before it and the verse after it. And I'm going to ask you, is that what Paul is talking about? Is he talking about spiritually dying and starting over every single day because the flesh, I mean, because the, his self, his heart is evil and wicked and he needs to start over every single day? He needs to die daily, spiritually speaking? Verse before and the verse after, you tell me. This is Paul, the verse before. Why are we also in danger every hour? Not every day. But every hour, Paul's saying, I, I'm in danger of my life. Verse 31, I affirm, brethren, hey, we're in danger. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, that I die daily. If from human motives, humans are trying to kill me, I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. So anybody fought a wild beast, you know, one or two maybe? Paul is saying, when I was in Ephesus, I fought a wild beast. That was, why was he fighting wild beasts? That's how they persecuted Christians. They put Christians in these, in these either coliseums or these rooms, and they would throw these wild, hungry animals at them to eat them alive. And Paul is saying, I fought a wild beast in Ephesus. What does it profit me for me to do this? If the dead are not raised, then let's just go around, throw a party, eat, and don't worry about life. If, the dead, if there is no life after this, then look, what, I'm a fool for continuing what I'm doing because I'm fighting beasts. I die daily. So what is he talking about? Is he talking about spiritually we need to die to self in order to really get closer and cleaner to Jesus? What do you think? No. He is actually talking about the fact that he faces death every single day, every hour. He's in danger and when he's in Ephesus, you think he's going back to Ephesus anytime soon? When he was in Ephesus last time, they even sick wild animals at him to kill him. But we've taken this verse, I die daily, and we've twisted it into this teaching that, John, hey, it's Sunday. You need to die to yourself today. You need to die to yourself because yourself is wicked. Hey, John, Bob, listen, die today. Die to self. It's another day, so you need to die another time. And slowly and slowly dying over and over and over so that you can eventually, hopefully one day, be so righteous and clean and close to Jesus. But, Walt, what about, I mean, really, I mean, what about all of the other Bible verses? Talk about dying to self. I mean, what about all those other ones? Find them. Because I can't. But yet that's so prevalent. Maybe not in your neck of the woods, but this mindset of, man, I just need to die further, die more, die more, die more, so that I can live, so that I can really be clean so I can really be close. I was at a meeting of church planters and pastors and stuff a while back, and this guy was giving this presentation on what he thought discipleship looks like. And he was giving this story about how if you as you know, the leaders of the church, if you're not close to Jesus, then how in the world can you expect anybody in your congregation to ever get close to Jesus? 
And so the climax of this, you know, discussion was for you to spend, uh, you know, us in sitting in the audience, to spend a few minutes really evaluating our lives and on a piece of paper to write on a scale of 1 to 10 how close you are to Jesus today. And then on your piece of paper on the other side, write the number of which you wish you would be, you hope to be tomorrow. And what do you need to do between today and tomorrow in order to get to that other number? And so you've got this room of young, impressionable men and women who are looking over the last 48 hours, the last 72 hours of their life to determine how close they are to Jesus. And man, they're beating themselves up. They're saying, God, I don't even know if I'm a two. On a scale of one to ten, how close am I to I don't even know if I'm a two. Then you got others who, you know, they had an extra 30 minutes of quiet time that morning, you know, and they didn't beat the dog that week. And so they're like, hey, I, I'm pretty good. I think I might be in the seven to eight range, you know. There's always room for better. There's always room to die more, to get more and get cl- cl- closer. And I just remember raising my hand. <laughs> you know what's going to come next, you know. I just remember raising my hand and I said, on a scale of one to ten, how close are we to Jesus I said, baby, I'm an 11. An 11. And man, they looked at me like I was the most arrogant fool in the world. Is that arrogance or is that trusting the word, the saying, the truth of what Jesus has declared and what the apostles have taught? Now, if I look back over the last 48 to 72 hours of my behavior, and if my cleanness and closeness with God was dependent upon my behavior, yeah, I mean, negative 11, if that's the basis. But that's not Christianity. That's Judaism. That's religion. That's Islam. That's not Christianity. So here's our journey marker, and here's what I'm hoping that we're starting to really see. There actually, believe it or not, there's actually nothing wrong with the new you. If there's something wrong with the new you, then how do you get the new you newer? If there's something broken with the new you, your new heart, how, how do you fix it? Because Jesus isn't going to die again. If there's something wrong with the new you, then there's something wrong with the one who made you new. Wow. You're going to raise your hand to that one? Oh, yeah, I think there's something wrong with the one who made me new. No. You're not going to raise your hand to that. There's nothing wrong, believe it or not, with the new you. And on a scale of 1 to 10, baby, you are an 11. Now, I know that we don't walk in that way all the time. If we wanted to talk about how we stumble and fall in a million different ways, man, we could do that all day long. But the Scriptures never teach us, never teach us in the New Covenant to set our eyes on our failures, to set our eyes on sin, to set our eyes on on how we missed the mark. The Scriptures over and over are telling us to set our eyes on this new reality, to set our eyes on Christ, because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear. Behold the Lamb of God seeing him and seeing our new life in him so that as we walk in this world, we begin to actually walk reflecting and living out his life within us. 
on a scale of one to 10, you're an 11. So this number three in the things I wish, top 10 I wish every person, including Christians, knew about Christianity is that Christianity is not a process of us over and over trying to get rid of ourselves, trying to deny ourselves, trying to stop living for the self. Self is not a dirty word anymore. The self is new. And if not, what are, what are we even here for? And so I hope that makes sense. It might be counter intuitive to our experience because we experience, oh, no, I, I sin daily. I, I do. I didn't say sin doesn't come from us daily. I didn't say that at all. I'm just saying let's, re, let's see where it's coming from. Let's see where you are in that picture. But for me, what I hear the apostles teaching, there's nothing wrong with the new you. You are the righteousness of God. Now let's live it. Let's live from that. Before we break up and close down shop, is there any comments or thoughts or questions? Or uh, I tried to introduce a couple of but what abouts. There might be more. There might be more. Uh, yeah, Bob. Love one of the songs that you led us in this morning um, about praising God. And I think a lot of that comes from a thankful heart. Uh, the passage in Scripture about that there were ten lepers, nine of them walked away, but one of them turned around and gave thanks. And um, I just, <laughs> there's a lot bouncing around in my brain after what you've been saying, and so I hope I can remember. Um, you know, uh, I think in the scripture it says that if we don't give praise, God's capable of making the stones give him praise. But it's just, I think we get, it's so easy in today's fast-paced life of, you know, jobs and the bills and the everything and feeling inadequate in a lot of ways that we can easily lose uh, sight of where the life, where is the life, and, and I think a lot of times for me it's been remembering to be thankful, and um, you were uh, on my phone, but um, in First John, I, I've been struggling because I was I've been reading some of. Uh, First John, and talking about, you know, if you keep his commandments, then you're his. And I'm like, you know, that sounds Old Testament. You know, that sounds like Juda Judaism. But um, in this chapter 2, yeah, First John 2, near the end, as for you, this is verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. This reminds me of Paul. You know, it's just awesome that all these other apostles were with Jesus the whole time, but Paul wasn't before Jesus was crucified. And I remember, you know, in Scripture, Paul.
Paul was, I guess, telling Peter, um, I don't need a teacher because Jesus came to me. And kind of the same thing for us. I mean, um, you have no need of anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and I think American churches, American Christians, we're always looking like you've talked to us, the 10 steps to being a better person. How can I get better? I've got it. This is a lifelong sanctification process and all that. Um, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If, one comes back. if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And I'm thinking again, like, it's contingent on practicing righteousness. It doesn't sound, um, doesn't sound like grace. Um, Also, you know, you were talking, Walt, at the end about um, dying to self, but that's just works. Um, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, like, by grace you've been saved through faith so that we can't boast. If, we, if we're focused on, you know, dying to myself, I've got, and I, I was in a church for like 20 years, and that's what they pretty much preached a lot. Um, on, there's, there's never reaching the end of that. Um, but but that's just um, that's just living by the law or not living, but that, that's the law. Um, in the last part of chapter three in First John, um, which helped me, this is his commandment. So I'm thinking, well, I've got to walk and practice the righteousness, and that's talking about that we're we've already been crucified, so um, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. So that's the commandment, Yeah, is, is belief. Um, one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you got all the way to the end because that answers the question. Define covenant uh, commandments, and he does, thankfully. What if he didn't? And that would be very confusing. But he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandment, or however he says it, you know, the commandments. And then he defines what the commandment is, that you believe in the name of the Son of God. Yeah. So he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about, you know, the 613. He's talking about what actually is required. There is a requirement. It's called faith in Jesus. That's the commandment. So, awesome. I want to give a couple of praises while I have a phone. <laughs> this week... Eric, my son, started a brand new job that um, God kind of gave to him through Jim, who is retiring. That was just an amazing thing out in the hallway one day. Jim just months ago said, I'm retiring next June, and if you're interested, um, I'd be glad to put in a good word for you. Um, so Eric applied, and he started this past week was his first week. Well, hours, just hours into his first week, he flew to Atlanta. They had a rental car for him. And um, he's 10 minutes after leaving the airport, 
and he's driving, and all of a sudden, people in front of him had stopped shortly, and a couple of them moved into the, they had to stop so shortly, they went off into the other lane to avoid hitting the car. So then Derek had a little more room, and he got stopped, and then he was all relaxed, and then and a uh, lady behind him wasn't paying attention. Um, and his rental car is probably totaled looking at the picture. But Derek's fine. That's a big praise. And thanks to God. Um, anyway, I love being able to come here and see every one of you. As to Kathy and Derek, they couldn't be here today. But. Um, Anyway, life journey means a whole lot to me, and I'm very, very thankful. I was also thinking while we were here, I'm so glad I'm monopolizing right now, so I'll give it up. But, you know, a lot of churches, you'd get the impression that the Holy Spirit is only up there over the pastor. But really, while you're preaching, he's, he's out here, you know. Yeah. He's getting our minds thinking and listening, you know, and being able to talk and ask questions and comments me is is really what builds authentic biblical community where we can get to know each other and and become involved in each other's lives yeah. and love each other you know awesome. that happens by that yeah thanks bob really appreciate it yeah uh Joseph? i agree with bob um it's good to be reminded of our righteousness and it's all inclusiveness and uh, how we, we share that and how we have that in common, teaching, listening, and reflecting. And, and I'd like, I, I'm just inspired to say that, that I honor that work in my own life, and I see myself as righteous, as clean and holy, and but not, not me alone, but I honor that in all of you here present. You know, that is the basis. And I sense a perfect oneness, you know, that, that it was his work. And I, and I am honoring that. And um, I was, then I was thinking that uh, this idea and making it clear that here and now we are clean before God. And we, sh we share that. We embrace that. We are in that. And, um, and I got to thinking that I wonder if somebody hears you say, well, I'm on an 80-year plan, um, is there a possibility that somebody would think that you're on the 80-year plan to get clean, to eventually be clean? I don't think that's what you're saying. I think the way I understand you, when you say that, you're saying, from now till I am 80, I will have an opportunity to more fully see this single truth that we embrace here rather than something that you become. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm on the 80-year plan today, and then in a year from now, I'm still on the 80-year plan. So, I mean, it's a perpetual 80-year plan of the renewal of the mind, of seeing and, and coming to um, a, a revelation and an awareness of what really ha happened one day at 9108 Carlton Circle, Knoxville, Tennessee, in 1993, when I was born again. That one day, when that happened, I'm, 
on a journey of discovering what actually happened that day. Yeah. But but never am I getting cleaner, closer, etc. I'm being made aware of it more and more, prayerfully, every day, seeing it. Any other thoughts or questions there? But, hey, I don't know, know about this one here because I don't think myself is as self is as good as you say myself is or something along those lines. All right. All right, well, hopefully this is, uh, uh, of at least, if nothing else, it get, causes us to really uh, think and ponder on how a lot of Christian colloquialisms and cliches, um, you know, we should, we should uh, investigate them. We should see, you know, is this, is this real? Is it true? Uh, what, what rolls off the tongue so often, is it real? Is it true? Um, and this one, I think, does not pass the proverbial scripture sniff test. You know, it definitely does not. This idea of I need to die daily. No. And that yourself, might, there's something still wrong with myself. No. No. Um, the, the decision we have to make, I think, every single day is, am I going to live by and from who I really am, or am I going to fall into the trap, into the filth of who I once was, and the, the desires of sin that are still prevalent in my mortal body, or am I going to live the truth of who I really am today? Um, that's a decision we make every minute of every day. But it's not dying over and over and, and thinking there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you if you are born of him. Well, let's stand and be closed with a word of prayer and um, pray that God would continue to help us see these wonderfully good news, good Things. Father, we thank you for ever being with us and in us and for us and not against us. Father, I pray that if not in this moment throughout the week as you bring to remembrance the truth of what is, I pray that we would, that there would truly be light bulbs that go off in our minds, that there would be Watershed moments of sorts where we with confidence can say, wait a second, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. I am born of an imperishable seed. I am. I am. I am. So that when all of these other thoughts and impulses and desires come in competition with the truth of what we are, we can easily see them for what they are. Father, we thank you. We love you. We're so glad that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. 
If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.